Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. God's Word this morning. And uh, why don't we just open with a word of prayer and uh, get into what Jesus has for us today. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that we can come before you, our holy God. And God, we can, um, we can learn what it means to follow these spiritual disciplines, Lord, that, uh, that you have taught us and you have modeled for us in your word. God, help us to become more and more like you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, if you have your Bibles, um, turn over to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. That's where we're going this morning. And um, we've been in a series that we've entitled, The Elimination of Hurry. And uh, we, we have seen from these past weeks that, that hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. And we've also, we've also seen that in order to be like Jesus, we need to live like Jesus. And so this series is, is all about, and you can see this, this tagline to it, it's about these practices to be with Jesus, become like Him, and to do what He did. And these, these spiritual disciplines that we've, we are talking about are things that uh, don't earn us salvation, don't earn us favor with God but they help us become like Jesus and help us imitate the way that Jesus lived. And I want to just start off with a quote this morning to help you just understand why we're going to study what we're, what we're doing today. It's this. It's that in order to experience the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. In order to, in order to experience the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus of Jesus. How do we expect to become like Jesus if we don't do what he did and only just listen and mentally assent to what he said? We've got to do what he did and practice what he lived, and uh, we've got to learn from his life. And so this morning, we are going to look at the spiritual discipline of prayer, of prayer. And I'll be honest this morning that uh, this spiritual discipline is something that, that, uh, like you, I am very much in the process of learning and have been learning uh, my whole entire life. This is something that uh, I wish that I was better at, wish that, wish that I was able to practice in, with more maturity. And so this morning as, as I teach this, uh, I need you to know that uh, I'm still learning a lot and I, and I hope that we can just learn together. We're going to be looking at the spiritual dis- discipline of prayer and uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, did, did you know that Jesus taught us how to pray? He did. He taught us how to pray in his word in Matthew chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, if you haven't gotten there yet, turn over to Matthew chapter 6 with me. This is Jesus' teaching on prayer. And I've entitled this message, How to Pray Like Jesus. How to Pray Like Jesus. Now, as we look at Matthew 6... What we know is that this teaching is part of a larger message that Jesus gave. And this larger message was was called the Sermon on the Mount. And he covered a whole lot of different subjects, but basically he talked about the kingdom of God. And in this chapter, he's talking about three different things. And I thought about preaching on all of them because each of them are spiritual disciplines in themselves. But he, he talks about, you'll see at the beginning, he talks about our giving, talks about our praying, which we're going to look at, and then he talks about fasting. And each one of these things are spiritual disciplines, things that he did himself to show us how to live. But the way that he approaches this teaching is you'll notice right away from verse 1, you'll see that he approaches this with a warning. He warns us right away. He tells us, beware. He uses this word beware. And if you, if you see a sign beware, it usually says beware of dog, right? Um, he, he's, he's actually saying beware of practicing this in the wrong way. He's teaching us you can practice this and you can do this wrongly. And so beware of this. And so he's going to give us a warning right away. Let's, let's, let's read verse 1. Verse 1 says this, beware 
of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You know what Jesus' concern was? Right off the bat, his concern was for our heart. He was not concerned overly about what, what came out of our mouth. He, he was concerned about what was inside. You know, it was, it was uh, when, um, when David was anointed as king. Remember, remember King David? Samuel said, you know, after going through all, all these brothers, he, he, you know, and, and God said no to all these brothers, and he came to David, and, and, uh, and God told him, man looks at the, outward, at, at the outward appearance. What does God look at? The Lord, he says, looks at the heart. And that's what Jesus' primary concern was, was at our hearts, that, that we don't just practice this outwardly with a wrong heart inwardly. We don't just practice it to be seen. And, it, and that, that's, that's why I want to just skip on to verse 5 because he, he then talks about giving to the needy and how we can do that with a wrong heart. And we'll skip over that to, to verse 5 and, and, uh, and we'll see what he says next. It says, and when you pray, he says, but when you pray, actually verse 6, sorry, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So he, he, was, he was giving this reference to the religious leaders of that day. Basically all the pastors. He was talking to all the pastors and he was saying, you guys are the worst at praying. He said, you guys, you guys just, just stand on the street corner and you give these lofty prayers and use all this big language and, and use all my big names. And you think that because you do that and because others see you, that, that God is being glorified. And he said, no, actually, you're being looked at and people are looking up at you and, and they're like giving you, you the glory and, and, and all the adoration. And, and, and you're getting all the recognition and it's not me. You're making a show of your prayer, and you're receiving recognition. So if recognition is your goal, that is going to be your reward. If recognition is your goal, that is, that is your reward. And this concept actually runs all throughout our spiritual life. If you're doing something in order to just be seen or to be looked at by others, oh, wow, that person is really good at praying. Which some, people, some people will say that, I'm not good at praying. I'm not good at praying, I, uh, you know. I don't know how to pray. Praying is just talking to God. And actually, did you know that some of the worst people at praying are the ones that do it publicly? Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually guilty of that if I'm not careful. Can we just be honest about that? Yeah. It's, it's usually the prayers of our children that actually show us God's heart when it comes to prayer, isn't it? It is. And so he warns us. He says, he says watch out for your heart. And, and, and if, if, if you're having a hard time getting your heart right, maybe you need to change the location that you pray. And in verse 6, he says this. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If you want to be rewarded for your prayer, don't do it to be recognized. Do it to be rewarded by God because he rewards those things that are done in secret, those things that are of eternal reward and not just earthly reward. Verse 7, he says, When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll, they'll be heard for their many words. How many of you have ever been in church where just someone just prayed way too long? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, this is you know, it, it happened way back then. He said, man, people think that they'll be heard because they said so much. They prayed so long, and, and man, that was so pleasing to God. And he said, no, just let your words be few. He said, don't be like them, verse 8. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need. I don't know if you grew up with a good father, or if your father was a deadbeat and was was, uh, didn't really care about you very much, but God himself, he says, I'm a father. 
So get the best image of a father that you can have in your mind right now because this is, this is a father who is involved, who loves you, who created you, who, who wants the best for you, who, who knows, knows you inside and out, make, knows, knows what makes you tick. And, and this father, he says this, I know what you need before you even ask. You know the reason that we pray is not just to tell God what we need, you think God has ever been surprised by when we, when we tell God, hey, God, we, we need something? When we, when we text out a, a prayer message as a church and say, hey, pray for this person because maybe they, they're, they're dealing with cancer or they had a death in the family or they're sick or they're struggling. Do you think that God is ever surprised by that? No. God knows what we need. No, prayer is actually just good for us because it helps us realize, God, you're my father You care for me deeply. You already know what I need. You already know what this person needs. So God, I'm submitting my will to yours. I'm coming before you as as your child saying, Daddy. You know, sometimes we're afraid to raise our hands in church. You know what helped me get over that? When I realized who I am. And when we raise our hands, we're saying, Daddy. Daddy, I need you. I need you, Father. That's what it is. And it helped me really get over that, the, the, that, that, that way that, man, I used to just be, be afraid to raise a hand. Why, why in the world? But it's just that act of reaching up to God, showing physically who we are. And so we pray to submit ourselves to God. We pray to come into a relationship with Him. Can I tell you about a little experience that I had in my life with prayer? It happened when I was a child. I was um, actually in high school during this time. And uh, if you know some of my story you'll know that uh, I got involved doing music when I was in high school. I learned how to play guitar. And uh, once you learn how to play guitar, auto- automatically you've got you've to be in a band, right? Because you're that good, okay? But uh, no, we weren't good at all. But we did try. And so we started a worship band, and uh, we would have worship nights every single month for the youth in our area. And uh, so every week... On a Wednesday night, we got together to practice, and uh, this practice happened about 45 minutes away from, from where I lived. We lived along a big, long river, kind of like the valley, and, uh, and it, it was like, you know, after, after it would be an hour and a half drive to go up and back every, every Wednesday, and so my parents said, well, why don't you just stay with one of your friends um, that was in the band, and, and you're right by your school, and so you can just go with them to school. And so that's what we did for, for uh, about a year. I, on Wednesday nights, stayed with my friend in, in, their, guest, in their family's guest bedroom. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. But, but uh, what happened, though, was, you know, have you ever had that experience where you start hearing, hearing voices in the middle of the night? And, it, you know, I started hearing that during the night. And it was, like, really creepy. And I was like, what's going on? Like, is their house haunted? And... Uh, <laughs> So I, I woke up just kind of wondering, what's going on the, in, in the room right, right across from me? You know how, how like a wall doesn't have any insulation in it? You kind of hear this like mumbling, you know, in another room. That's what I was hearing. And I, I listened for a while. I could barely pick out the words. And I all of a sudden realized, this was my friend's father. He was, he was studying the Bible and he was praying. And this was at 3 a.m. in the morning. He got up at 3 a.m. to pray. And this went on for about half an hour. He'd pray audibly. And, uh, and then he would actually go, t- he would leave and he would go to his job at 4 a.m. because he, was, uh, he, he, did, was a, uh, he owned a courier service, like he, he delivered packages. He was a courier. And uh, man, I was just like, wow, I have never experienced or observed that kind of devotion in someone to pray to the Lord, to seek God in prayer. This man woke up to commune with his father every single morning. And this, this man really had a wonderful relationship with God and, and led his family very well. Talk about discipline, though. And I've, I've never achieved that level of discipline, I'll be honest. But man, do I aspire to that? Yeah. This man was an example to me. And I've also wondered at the same time, how could I have that same kind of prayer life? 
How could you have that same kind of prayer life? How could, how could you be so devoted to prayer like this man? And like, like Jesus was himself. He was devoted to prayer. Jesus teaches us in these next few verses. And let's go to, um, let's go to verse 9, 9 through 13. We're going to actually, as, as you look at it, you'll see that, that uh, maybe in your Bible it is titled the Lord's Prayer. Um, I like to title this the Disciples' Prayer. Because over in the chapter of, of uh, the book of Luke, Jesus actually is approached by his disciples, and his disciples ask him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And you'll recognize these words right away if you start just glancing over them. You'll, you'll recognize, oh, I, I know the Lord's Prayer. You know, I, I learned that as a, as, a, as a child, right? And so, so I want us to just be careful as we get into this familiar territory that we're approaching it rightly. Because I, I think that, that too often when we memorize something or have heard things from the time that we're a child, they just kind of gloss over us and we don't actually understand what Jesus actually was saying here. See, the first thing that I want you to know is that, number one, the disciples' prayer was was not meant to be memorized, to be prayed verbatim. How many of you have a family where you, you said this around the dinner table? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. I, I grew up saying this around the dinner table. I grew up saying this in church, almost on a weekly basis. And we would just pray this prayer that Jesus is going to give us here, we're going to talk through. We would pray it verbatim. So, so I know this prayer. And we can almost we could almost just you know say it in one breath, and and I've I've learned how to say it really fast without even really thinking about it. Can I try it on you a second? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? You could do it too. <laughs> Did I recognize anything that I was saying, though? Seriously, and this is what we do. This is what we do, though. When we say this prayer, when we memorize it to be prayed verbatim, it often loses its meaning. This prayer was not meant to be prayed like that, and especially the way that I just did it. No, this is not how we do this prayer. So, so how do we do it? We don't do it loudly. We don't do it confidently. We don't do it to show off. Otherwise, we'll be like the Pharisees. Number two, this disciple's prayer was meant to be prayed, meant to be memorized as a framework for our prayers. It was meant to be memorized as a framework for our prayers. Didn't Jesus say, as, as you see in verse 9, he said, pray then in this way? Pray then in this way. This prayer is literally basically like a skeleton that we're then to add meat to. We're to, we're, to, we're to add to this skeleton. It's like an outline for our prayers. That's what we're going we're gonna to understand. Now, in this prayer, we're going to see that there are three petitions that promote God's glory. And there, then there are also then another three petitions that concern our well-being. You'll see in your notes you have six petitions right there. And so let's look at the first petition. Let's remember that this is number one of how we're to approach God. How do we approach God? And Jesus says, pray then in this way. This is, this is Matthew 6, verse 9. He said, pray then in this way. Our Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So petition number one, petition God's person. Petition God's person. He says, pray in this way. So our prayers should resemble the categories and the content of the disciples' prayer. The prayer begins with the word, our. And that word is important. The word, our, is important. As you look at that word, you re realize that, that we're not saying, my, Right? The word our, he says, our Father. Why would this be important? It's because when we pray, we don't just pray for ourselves. We're saying, God, you are our Father. If you look around at, at the church today, you can say, God, you are our Father. 
Um, you have adopted us into your family, and so we're family together. And so, so when we pray, we don't want to just pray for our own good, my own good. We are going to pray for the family's good. We're going to pray for not only this local body, but for believers all over the world. We're going to pray that, God, you would be Lord in our lives. We want to pray for the family's good, not just ourselves. The next word is the word Father. The word Father, you'll see that how often we begin our prayers with this word. It's a recognition of our relationship with Him. We just talked about, I don't know what kind of father you had growing up, but this is a, this is a father who is intimate with his children, who loves his children deeply, who cares with affection for them. He says, you are my children. God says he's a father. It's also a recognition of his position. He's not just a pal. He's, just not a, he's not just a buddy. He's not the man upstairs. He's our father. That's going to change the way that we approach God, doesn't it? When we know that he's a father who cares deeply for us. But it's also this phrase, our father who art in heaven, it's also reverent. While it's intimate, it's also reverent. The word, he says, hallowed, hallowed be your name. I brought with me something to just illustrate this first thing for us this morning. Brought with me some, I don't know if I'd call it china, but it's something that I'd say is, is hallowed. A dish that we only use on special occasions in our family. We'll, we'll, we'll take it out at Christmas or on, on Easter when we're, when we're having a special dinner. And, and we'll, we, we set it apart for that purpose so that we only use it for very special things. And God is saying this, this is who I am. I am set apart. I am holy. That means that, that I am morally pure, that I am without sin. I am separated from you as a sinner. And that's ultimately why, why Jesus was sent. He was sent as the holy God down to this earth to an unholy world to become like us, live like us, but to live a holy, pure life to be without sin, to be the spotless lamb of God. And that's why then he was able to then be a sacrifice for us on the cross. And so, so this first part of prayer is just a recognition of God's, God's position, his position in our lives, his, his person of being our father who is holy, who is set apart, who is pure, and who expects to be approached with reverence and with fear. And with awe, that's, that's our God. Now, Darren, Darren he was wondering what, what in the world things that I brought with me were today. And I just told him I was going to have a garage sale, okay? Because we're in this serious hurry. And, you know, from what we had last week, uh, you're going to see a lot of garage sale items. But I hope they help, okay? <laughs> so that's the first one, God's person. When we approach God, let's, let's approach who he is, who he is truly. The second one, if you're taking notes, is a petition to God's program. God's program. Jesus says, pray your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. I brought with me a boot with me this morning because to me this represents what Jesus is going to come and do. He is going to ultimately, although he came down to this earth and he defeated sin and death and he was resurrected from, from the dead after dying on the cross and being buried for three days, taking, taking upon the sin of ourselves upon himself, he was resurrected and then he, he ascended into heaven and he promised us that he was going to return again and he is going to bring us to himself that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord. But guess what? This has not happened yet. This has not happened yet. And so what Jesus prays is this, your kingdom come. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Now, when you're born into his family, you become part of his family. And so we can live as believers here on earth saying, God, your kingdom has come in our lives, but it has not yet come into the world. And so we pray, we pray, God, may you return. May you return soon. 
May your kingdom come in my life. May your kingdom come in our church's life. May we, may we live as if you are Lord and Savior here in this place. But God, we await for that day that you are going to come as Lord and Savior to the world. And you're going to raise us up to be with you in paradise. We pray in anticipation of the hope of that second coming. We pray with eternity in mind. Lord, your kingdom come. And so that, that, that changes the way that we pray because oftentimes I think we're so consumed with praying for things here on earth, praying for just our little concerns, which God does care. But man, do we have an eternal perspective when we pray? God, you're holy. You're so holy. You are pure. And God, you're going to return one day. God, help me to pray about the things that matter to you for eternity that you care about. God, your kingdom come. God, we pray for the salvation of souls. We pray this every week as, as a church. When we gather at 9.15 to pray, we pray for the salvation of souls. Here in our church, here in our valley, we're praying for that. These are things that matter to God. So God's person, God's program, and third, God's purpose. God's purpose. Jesus tells us, pray this, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I brought with me, this is heavy, a vice. And as you can see, as you use a vice, what it, what it is used for is to clamp different things into it. To, to, so that it can be held securely and tightly so that you can take a hammer and you can bash on it and, and you can bend it to how you want it to be. And so, so what, I, what I see from this prayer is, is this. We're praying, God, may you be that vice. May you hold us, may you mold us, may you shape us according to your will. God, not my will, but your will be done. You know, that, that changes the way that I pray. Sometimes I, 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 don't even, I don't even know what to pray because I don't know what God's will is. Can I, can I share with you something that actually helped me? I learned just recently, and I, I don't know how this, this passed both Precious and I up, but, but about a year, year and a half ago, we discovered this phrase, that His word is His will. God's word is his will. You know that? And, and if we don't know what to pray, if we're struggling with making a decision, if, if we don't know the, the words to say to God, not only does the Spirit help us in our weaknesses when we don't know what to pray, but we can actually take the, take the word that God has given to us and we can pray these words. I realized reading through the book of Ephesians, as, as, as Paul was writing to, to this, this church that he was praying a prayer for them and, and that this was a prayer that we could pray for each other. Can I give, just give you an example? He, he said, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in love. You know, we can pray that for each other. Pray that we would be rooted and grounded in love. I pray that we would be able to comprehend the height and depth and length and width of the love of Christ. He also says... I pray that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. We could pray that for each other. That is God's heart. It's His Word. He says, I, I pray that you could walk worthy. I pray that you may walk worthy of your calling, that you may be faithful, that I, that I might be able to speak the truth in love and walk in love. Now, that's just the book of of Ephesians. There's, there's a whole lot more in there that we could go through. You can also go in Scripture and, and you can look for commands. You can do that as well and you can pray them. God, if, if this is a command from you, then I know that it is your will. And so as, as, you're, as you're reading through Scripture, use it, use it as a prayer book. Use it as, as a way that you can just pray these words right back to God. Some, some of them, I'll just help you out. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. You can pray, God, help me to throw off everything that hinders me. Help me especially to battle against the sin that so easily entangles me. Help me to keep my eyes fixed on you, Jesus. 
1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Lord, help me to always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in me. There's also in, in, in Scripture um, prayers of thanksgiving and praise. Can I just give some of those to you? Revelation 4, verse 11. God, you are worthy to receive honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created and they have their being. That's Revelation 4.11. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, To you, the eternal King, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forevermore. Psalm 100 verse 5, You, O Lord, are good. And your loving kindness is everlasting. Your faithfulness continues to all generation. You can pray these words. And you can even, even see what God did throughout Scripture. You can see how God cares for you. You can see how God cares for His church. See how God cares for, for the marginalized and the hurting. And you can just say, God, I want to pray these Scriptures back to you. And just ask you, God, do it. Do it. Or God, do it again. Do it again, God. Lord, align my will with yours. Not my will, God, but your will be done. May your will be done in my marriage. May your will be done in my family, in my work, in my church, in my career, in my finances, in my children's life. Not my will, but your will be done. That changes the way that we pray, doesn't it? Use that as, as a framework for your prayers. And it may mean that sometimes you sit before God and you just don't say anything. And you just trust. Trust God, you know. You know. You're in control. You know what to do. You know, every Saturday, these past few weeks, we've been gathering at our church at 10 a.m. to pray. And there's only been a handful of us. But we've been seeking the will of God. And saying, God, your will be done. And we've been actually taking scripture and we've been just praying through the scripture. Um, you guys all received that, that prayer guide at the beginning of the series. And we're actually using that scripture from every single day of the week that we have. We've got dates on every single one of them just for us to pray as a church. And then on Saturday, we've just come together and we've just prayed through all the scripture. Over you, over, over our church, over our valley, over, over our, our work as, as a body. Saying, God, do it again. Do it again. Pray his will. Pray not my will, but yours be done. You know, the other thing about this is that while Jesus is God, did you know that he actually prayed that prayer? He prayed that prayer at the most difficult point of his life. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, he said, let this cup pass from me, <laughs> meaning, meaning he did not, he was saying, if, if there's any other way to accomplish your work of salvation, let that happen. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. He submitted himself to God. He submitted himself to the control of the all-knowing, all-sovereign God, and that's what he's calling us to do, submit yourself to him. Submit yourself in your prayers to him. Don't pray for your own will. Pray for God's will. Petition number four. You can probably guess what this one is. He says in 6 verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I didn't get original with this one because this one was pretty easy. But I brought a loaf of bread along, okay? And uh, this, this loaf of bread represents just, just those daily needs that we have, those needs that, that we have every single day, those little things, those necessities. And sometimes the things that we just take for granted and we become self-reliant upon and we just think, oh, I'm, I provide for myself. I work really hard and so I get a paycheck every week. And, and you know, I'm, I, uh, I, I, I did really well in school and so I have all this education and, and that's why I do really well in life. And, and too often we become self-sufficient and what Jesus is saying is, stop it. Stop it. And rely on me. 
Stop thinking that you are self-sufficient in yourself and, and come to me as a child saying, Daddy, I need your permission and I trust that you will provide. We've even talked about some, some of that scripture where, where Jesus he says, don't worry about your life. God will provide just for you, just like the birds. Give us this day our daily bread. You notice that there's, there's this reference here that, that the word today is used twice. In that, in, that, in that scripture. Give us this day, today, our daily bread. Today again. Give us today what we need today. Jesus only promises us today. He does not promise us tomorrow. He wants us to live daily dependent on him. To submit ourselves to him. You don't provide for yourself. He wants your confidence to be in him. For your daily needs. And when you do that, there's nothing that you have to worry about. Too often our, our anxiety, our worry is not about today. It's about tomorrow. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, right? So, petitioning God's person, his program, his purpose, and his provision. Fifth one. Is this. This, this, this uh, petition number five is, is that we petition God's pardon. It's from Matthew 6, 12. And, and he says this, forgive us our debts as we, off, as, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, what, what in the world does, does he mean by this? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Our debts mean, I would say it. Plainly, between, between ourselves and God, this means our, our sin. And before a holy God, God is our judge. That's literally who he is. And what, what, he, what he does is as he, as he looks at us as a holy God and he sees us in our sin, he judges us and says, you are guilty. You're guilty. Plain and simple. I laid out my law for you here in your word and you obviously can't keep it. But you know, God is, is not that uncaring judge who just says, oh, fine, damn you to hell. Damn you all to hell, you're gone. No, that's not our God. Our God, he loves you so much. He's that loving father who said, I'm going to send my own son. And even though you are judged as guilty and you deserve the fire of hell, Jesus walked into that courtroom. And before a holy God, he said, Father, I know that I see they're guilty. But God, would you give me the punishment that they deserve? Would you sentence me to death in their place? And God in that courtroom ruled that Jesus would then take your sentence. That's literally what, what salvation is. If you didn't understand this before, it's not just this lovey-dovey feeling of, oh, I just believe in God and, you know, he's wonderful and, and Jesus was such a good moral person. No, our dependency is completely upon him. We've been judged as guilty before a holy God. But God has placed that judgment upon him. It says in scripture, Isaiah 53 verse 5, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we have been healed. Christ took the sentencing that we deserve, and so we thank him for that. In Jesus, we've received a pardon, but it doesn't stop there. Because if it stopped there, and we did not pass that on to others then we would be just like the Pharisees. We would be just like the hypocritical people that Jesus warned us and said, beware of this, beware of this in your prayer life, beware of this in your spiritual life. Don't just take salvation and not give it away to other people. He says, and forgive us our debts. Thank you, Father Jesus, for forgiving our debt of sin, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Who are our debtors? These are people that have wronged us, that have sinned against us. Maybe, maybe they're even people that, that, as a Christian, 
you look at them and you say, oh man, they're, I would never do that. Man, they really struggle with this sin or this addiction. Or, you know, man, they're really immoral and I don't know how we're going to stay away from them. Man, they're far away from Jesus. You know, if, if you act that way, just like the Pharisees did, that you don't really understand the grace of God yourself. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He did. And he calls us to do that as well. He calls us to join him in that. And so there's not a place for, for this hierarchy of I'm more spiritual than that person and this person deserves it and that person doesn't. No, Jesus says, no, you're all guilty. You're all, you all deserve the judgment of, of, of my wrath. And I've given it freely in Jesus Christ. And so as you have freely received, it says in Scripture, Freely then give. Freely give. And there's actually a little P.S. here at, 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 underneath these words that Jesus says. Can I read them for you? Let's read them slowly. Let's read them soberly. Because this is the reality when it comes for, to unforgiveness in, in your life and my life. He says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Just feel the weight of that. Jesus promises to forgive, but he says clearly, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. God will not forgive you. If you cannot bring yourself to a place of forgiving someone, <laughs> and you'd be like, well, well, they've never, they've never apologized. They've never made it right. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It says in Scripture, as far as it depends upon you. What, what did God do to, to us? Did he wait for us to come groveling to him on our knees and say, God, we repent, we repent, before he sent Jesus? No, he didn't. Jesus came to sinners. He came to us when, when we weren't worthy. We're still not worthy. Is that person worthy that you're holding that, that, that unforgiveness against? No, they're not worthy of it, neither were you. And so extend that forgiveness. Say, Jesus forgave me, how can I hold that against you? This might be freeing for some of you. Go, go to that person. Tell them that, free them from that guilt. Even though they may not have repented of it free, it, free them from it yourself. Just as Jesus has done for you. Remember the debt that you have been forgiven of. All right. Petition number six. Matthew six thirteen. Here's the last verse. He says this. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this, this final petition, it deals with our spiritual concerns, and it's a petition for, as you can see, God's protection. God's protection. See, the reality of this life is that we are tempted to sin. And I brought with me a lightsaber this morning. <laughs> it was all that I could find, but to me it represented fighting against the dark side, right? <laughs> Maybe, maybe a good illustration, maybe bad, but literally what, what Jesus has done is he's provided us his spirit to fight against temptation. He, he even says that, that no temptation has, has overcome you except what is common to man. And when, when you are tempted, God will provide a way of escape. You know that way of escape often comes through just obeying his word? You know, God, God will provide an open door for you to just not do that anymore. But it comes by you submitting in obedience to him and understanding that Jesus has defeated the darkness of sin and temptation. He's ultimately defeated Satan, even though Satan is, is still alive and well and roaming. We wait for that day when Jesus is going to come and crush his head. We know that he has ultimately, he ultimately has the victory. We trust that. We believe that. And so, so when we pray, we're praying, God, would you... Protect me. I'm going to set this down here just, just for us to remember God's protection. God, would you protect me from temptation? 
Now, some of us, we read this, this, this verse and we ask ourselves, well, it kind of sounds like this verse is saying, God, don't lead me into temptation. Does God lead people into temptation? Let's understand that. Does God tempt us with sin? Actually, the answer to that comes in James chapter 1, verse 13. And uh, it's not going to be up on the screen. You can write it down if you need it. James 1.13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So what Jesus is saying, and what James is saying here, is that when we are praying, we need to be mindful that we are prone to falling into temptation, but we can depend on a God who was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And because he was without sin, we have hope that he will deliver us for, from, from temptation. And so we can pray, God, would you deliver me from this sin? I don't know what sin you're dealing with right now. You can just bring that, bring that thing up in your mind that you keep on returning to over and over and over again. You know, you can pray and ask God to deliver you from it. And he promises that if we pray in faith, we have what we ask in faith. Ask God to deliver you from that, to deliver you from temptation. Change your heart. Ask for his power. Ask for his spirit to come down and defeat the devil. John 4, 7 says, resist the devil, hopefully. So that, that's how you pray like Jesus. And we've come to the end of it. We realize that, that this, this whole skeleton, and, and we, could, we could probably pray a really long prayer right now and try to get through all of it, but, but basically what he's saying is this. When you pray, this is how to pray. Petition God's person. Petition God's program. Petition God's purpose, his provision, his pardon, and his protection. Pray not to be seen or heard by men, but pray in secret as a true act of worship. Jesus cares about our motives. He cares about our heart. And so let me ask you, where is your heart when it comes to prayer? Are you going to come to God as a child? Are you going to come to God as a hypocrite? Jesus asked us to come to unhurry our life, to come to him, all of us who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give us rest. Let's stand. Let's pray together as we close. As you stand today, uh, let's just bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And I want you to just ask yourself and ask, ask God this right now. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me, God? can just pray that prayer right now. I'll just give you a moment of silence just to ask him. Father, thank you for what we have received from you. God, we give you permission now to just interrupt our plans, to help us slow down, to stop our rushing. And we ask you to enter into this room and be our peace. God, we know that you called us to pray and to enter into that relationship with you, God. And thank you, Jesus, that by your death and your resurrection, you made a way for us into the Holy of Holies by splitting that veil in two. Thank you, God, that we can approach you. And we pray, God, that you would just lead us into obedience, to faithfulness to you, Jesus. Let's keep on praying today. I know there's some of you who may not know Jesus right now as your Savior who may be hearing this message right now and, and you, you realize that you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, know this, Jesus has made that way for you to come to God. He says, come to me. Come to me. 
and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And when you come to Jesus by repentance and faith, he forgives your sin. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to God. No, you come as you are. You say, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Jesus does, he welcomes you into this kingdom. And so those of you that are here that want Jesus and want his grace and want what he offers and want, 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 uh, want him to satisfy the judgment of God on your behalf, just raise your hand right now and, and I'm going to just lead you in a prayer. Praise God. Amen. 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 Yeah. Anyone else? Let me just lead you right now and we can all just affirm these words together as this is our hope this is the gospel pray these words and it's not the prayer that saves you it's it's what you believe in your heart jesus i need you i can't save myself i confess of and repent of my sin and i believe that you died on the cross and you rose again I believe that you alone are the way, the truth, and the life. I want to be your child, and I want you to be my father. I give you all of me today and declare at this moment that you have full control of my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me and making me whole. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's praise God for those born into his family right now. And let's sing as we worship the end of this service. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.